0: Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness and mindset to the next level.
1: It's time to level up.
0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. This is a little bit weird, Sherelle, isn't it? We're on We're not together.
1: I know. I think I was saying um, earlier, I think this is our first uh, podcast on our own that we've recorded uh, separately because we're via Zoom at the moment.
0: Via Zoom, our first Zoom podcast. And I'm having a little bit of withdrawals. I don't know if I've got attachment <laughs> issues towards you, but um, it's definitely not the same. What is going- I know. Tell the people why you're all the way in Woodport, please.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, So for those of of you who follow me on social media, um, you'll know that I'm back in my hometown of Swan Hill, which is um, sort of up the top of Victoria, country Victoria. I grew up there and moved to Melbourne and everything to work. And, you know, given uh, the lockdown restrictions and everything, I was fortunately home. Um, I'm a bridesmaid, so I was doing bridesmaids duties. But, um, yeah, I was home when my suburb went into lockdown and then, uh, like, 24 hours later the whole Melbourne went into lockdown so Mm -hmm. here I am in Swan Hill not really knowing what the hell to do but yeah
0: I suppose you're in a good position a timing worked out perfectly but it's it's Mm -hmm. good that not all of Victoria is in lockdown just regional Melbourne so you're in a good place like 100%. stay there I suppose but how yeah. how is the experience so far like being back home mm-hmm. and away from Luke for Luke Yeah yeah so I won't
1: get to see Luke for probably you know 6 weeks which is crazy oh. um it's the longest I think we've been apart but more so it's actually been really nice and I think you know when the first lockdown happened you know I stepped on the accelerator I just started the business you know work at the hospital was busier as well than yeah. ever and everyone else was getting to slow down and I was like go, go, go. Uh, whereas now this second lockdown, it's almost like now I'm putting the foot on the brake and I can take that breath. So at the first few days, you know, I was a bit like, what's this mean for me? Cause, um, you know, I've said that I've dropped down to casual bank at the hospital. So I pick and choose my shifts. And so I don't have any urgency to be in Melbourne at the moment. And I'm sort of just, um, yeah, a bit up in the air, but it's been nice to be home with family. I, I yeah. haven't been home um, since I was in high school. So, yeah, it's been, it's been nice and, you know, change is always as good as a holiday, isn't it?
0: That's right. It sure is. And I suppose you will end up getting used to it. I mean, that's what sort of happened to everyone the first time everyone after the period of lockdown was lifting everyone was sort of having anxiety that it was going back to mm. somewhat of normality which is in it's just amazing how as humans we just adapt to whatever situation we're thrown into it's just mm. really cool um but again yeah the situation isn't really cool because you know it's uh, we empathize towards people who are severely affected who aren't able to work we're obviously both very grateful that we can still work Um, but it's definitely causing all of us to think outside the box and get a little bit creative with Mm. what we do in our daily lives, but then also with what actually makes us happy in life. I know that's what (laughs) I take away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And perspective
1: during these times is so important. It's something I was thinking about this morning, thinking, oh, you know, we always say I have to do this thing, I have to do this and that rather than I get to. And it's funny when these things are taken away from us, these human rights, whereas we find other little issues and problems and, you know, thinking about things in a positive frame of mind is really important. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. And even something that is so trivial is, like, sitting here, I'm at a friend's house now using their NBN because out of the farm we don't have NBN the end like oh yeah (laughs) it's like I feel like being like mom get off the landline you know like it's it's um it's a really different thing even in the morning going for my morning walks there's not one light like there's no street light and it's pitch black at 7am um but I'm really lucky you know it's funny um it's funny when you're like oh all these little first word problems and you then you step back and go you know I'm very grateful very lucky so it's yeah
0: yeah, completely different to the hustle and bustle of the lifestyle, you know, that we sort of um, were living every day. Now you get yeah. to kick back with Colleen and the chickens again. You've been eating fresh chicken eggs. I'm jealous. No. Yes. boil,
1: Bring Spoiled. some back. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> one thing, you know, don't worry about filtering all that estrogen and contraception out of the tap water. I get rainwater.
0: <laughs> there you go. How good's that? You're laughing. So
1: what are we chatting about today, Danny? We should give the listeners something to take away. <laughs>
0: Yeah that, that, that's always a good idea. So today we're going to do another Q&A episode. It has been a little while and Sherelle popped a question box up on her Instagram and got so many amazing questions. So thank you to everyone who sent them through. We absolutely love hearing what you guys are interested in hearing about um, and then being able to help you out. So mm. should we get straight into it Sherelle?
1: We should because I got a hell of a lot of good questions and it's always yeah. so hard to sift through them and be like, oh, what ones do we want to answer? And then also we also take it into consideration of what we already have answered on the podcast. So Absolutely. sometimes a lot of these topics have already spoken about. So if you flick back through as well our previous episodes, um, you can see in the show notes perhaps what we spoke about in other Q&As. But we'll yeah. jump straight into it. So the first question by Chloe Sansby is how do you handle cravings around your period and not overeating?
0: Mm, This is definitely the talk of the town, you know, eating around period, training around periods. And I know you, Shirelle, have really provided some incredible content around this topic. Um, So I'm going to handball it straight to you to start off with by answering. How do you handle Mm. it? (laughs) it's a it's a it's a tough
1: question because it's very Mm -hmm. unique because we we do know a lot about cravings and hunger and how it's not just directly impacted by one thing you know for example in food volume hydration stress sleep fatigue training all these other things um of course um as well as hormones can impact our appetite and our hunger levels Mm -hmm. but if you're very in tune with your body which i think a lot of our listeners are there you know they're on the clue app they're tracking they're listening to us they're doing all those things Uh, they know that you know around that period of time that week four just before you know mayhem hits um, those appetites can really skyrocket and I think it's really empowering to know you're like oh you know why am I just famished right now what's going on then log on to clue and you're like ah hello day 28 Mm -hmm. you know perhaps I'm about to get my period so you know there's a few things to come in play around I guess the physiology as to why and one of them um is actually nowhere near your cycle it's um near your period it's around ovulation when our appetite increases because our core temperature increases and you can think about when you're doing cardio your your body's sweating your temperature's increasing so you're burning more energy it's the same thing around um that ovulation period when your temperature goes up Mm. so you naturally can have a bit more of a craving um or higher appetite around ovulation which is that midway point as well as um just before your um Cycle actually starts or your period, your first day of your bleed uh, when other hormones impact you. So, there's a few things that I like to do, and one of them is just being aware, right? Yep. Like, the first thing is being like, okay, week four's coming up. Like, I need to hit my numbers and um, be strategic, especially if you're, you're dieting for fat loss. And being aware is the first thing that you can do rather than victimizing and being like, oh, I'm so hungry, perhaps I'm doing this. Just know yep. that it's sort of somewhat normal, wouldn't you say?
0: Absolutely, for sure. And I love what you mentioned earlier about it's not just because of one thing. So to elaborate on your concept of being aware, not only where you are at in your cycle, but also be aware of have I gotten enough sleep the past few days? Have I just been eating really highly processed foods the past few days? Yeah. So just uh, being a scientist, as we always say, and work out, okay, I'm feeling a little bit hungrier than normal. All right, cool. Is it directly related to my period or is it because I just didn't sleep well last night things like Mm. that Um, Mm. so before sort of jumping the gun and and eating many calories try and be proactive and and slow down and be present and take on some steps that you could such as you know eating voluminous foods that will actually fill you up rather Mm. than just reaching for whatever straight away because then yeah you kind of open up a can of worms and can lead into a spiral of just eating shit and then the mentality mm. of oh well it's my period comes in. We have to be mindful, are we using it to sort of help us or using it as an excuse? Because it mm. could be placebo as well. You know, that's massive. Oh, my period's coming up. Yeah, I'm hungry actually. I will eat the chocolate. Well
1: 100 percent Yeah. We could talk ourselves into it and it's not um, it's definitely not an excuse. It's just a consideration, right? Absolutely. And Again, like if you know that your period's coming up, you get sugar cravings, which is quite common, the sweetness factor don't have the food in the house to begin with because for sugar, like caffeine, it's a drug. And for a lot of the times, once you start, it's really hard to stop. So, you know, like we said, being really mindful um, that these cravings are probably going to happen. Yep. And then doing things that you already know are proactive, like what Danny said about um, volume of food, spending more time um, recovering, so prioritising your sleep, you know, perhaps taking a bit of a deload from training, not putting out so much um, energy or output into um, in the gym, perhaps. Yep like what we we've spoken about is slowing down during that luteal phase so there is lots of things but I think the most important one is um you know just being really mindful and aware and making um appropriate food choices
0: yeah and supplementation I know uh chocolate cravings can be a sign of magnesium deficiency as well yeah. so yeah Sherelle's sipping on a massive tea there what do you got there Tiger tea. Oh, oh, only the best. I ran out the <laughs> other day, the box that you yep. gave me. It was a sad time. Oh. Sorry. Uh,
1: and that's another thing I love, um <laughs> teas like during my yep. period, you know, like just finding things that aren't so calorie dense or for me, I don't like to actually reinforce the sweet craving because I'm one of those people as like, like I said, like I can't have one square of chocolate. I openly mm. admit that I'd just rather not have it because yeah. it's like I eat it and it's gone. So it's <laughs> about really understanding yourself. You're like, well, that wasn't worth it
0: at all. I oh, know. <laughs> or if you are a little bit, like, you know, you can have the one chocolate, the, the few people that are out there, and my hat goes off to you. Um, you know, just track it, put it in your calories mm. or for that week, monitor, like have a little bit extra calories because you know you'll be hungrier and then monitor and track the next week accordingly, maybe a little bit lower. You know, you mm. can play around with it. We don't have to have the same calories every day of every week. Over the yeah. month, map it out. Yeah, it, it takes a bit of trial and error, but there's no harm in in changing. That's totally mm. fine.
1: Yeah. And one thing that you can do as well is like, you know, if you know that you're in that high risk group of overeating and binging um, in that later phase of your cycle, don't diet. You know, you can yeah. diet for the follicular phase, those two weeks, you can push hard in the gym, do your training, add in your cardio, whatever it might be. And then from ovulation onwards, jump back up to maintenance, have the few extra pieces of fruit, increase your calories and take that proactive approach.
0: Yeah. Cause you might be having those cravings due to extra stress on your body. And then dieting is actually a stress. So maybe mm. the cravings will level out if you go on a mission to minimize the amount of stress you're placing on your body as well. So mm. yeah, back to our first point of awareness, find what works for yep. you. 100%. Uh, so next question
1: is by Rach Service. How many calories should you increase by each week when reverse dieting?
0: Again, everyone is so different. It really takes into account your training history, your current body composition. You know, Mm. you as an individual. So I suppose general guidelines. I was reading a post last night actually, which was very timely, where they said probably around the three to four hundred mark. But again, Mm. that's just one study. Everyone is so different. But I suppose my weekly. um, Yes. Yeah. So, no, on a daily, on a daily, sorry, than what you would on the extreme cutting phase. Okay, look, I'm going to have to revisit this study, um, but I'm pretty sure it was on the week. But the underlying factor was to just start conservatively. Don't go yeah. all of a sudden from, you know, extreme dieting to then cutting out exercise, cutting down on cardio and then increasing. All right, slow changes, one variable at a time perhaps, and mm-hmm. then go there. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting and it's hot topic, right, reverse dieting. I think it's, yeah. um, it's sold in the industry like it's this magic cure or this method that's going to allow you to stay shredded, shredded whilst eating all the food. And I yeah. think people need to also realise that that's not the case. You're going to put on weight regardless. Um, and if anything, if not physiologically, Um, more psychologically, I like reverse dieting for because as females, you know, it can be really overwhelming to just start eating all these extra calories, especially when weight's going to come on, when body fat's going to come on. Um, So for some, a lot of people don't actually support reverse dieting. I like it more for those psychological benefits. Um, I think sometimes people take it way too slow, like like a hundred calories a week. It's not enough, mm-hmm. if, and it also depends, right, on how low your calories have. Um, had to get. Yeah. So if you're in a comp prep and you know you're a female eating 1100 calories, right, mm. and your fats are like 25, do you know what I mean? Like some girls get quite light. That's potentially what they could be on. You want to get back up to um, something reasonably healthy pretty darn quickly. Yeah. So if you're a Gen Pop person that's only you know stayed in a 500 calorie deficit for eight weeks, you probably don't even have to reverse diet.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's spot on. You know what I would love to change is the stigma and stereotype of post comp antics or even show day antics, where, you know, backstage is all the junk food, pizzas, donuts, this, that. It becomes sexy for someone who's just done a comp to have a picture with a donut. Like, get rid of all that shit. I reckon that's ridiculous. Like, it's it's sending wrong messages in so many ways. (sighs) Absolutely
1: what? preach to the choir, Danny. Like yeah. preach. It is it develops the worst mindset in people. One, we've been starved for 20 weeks usually or less. And then you're gonna put us in this room full of sugar, which may as well be cocaine, yeah. and then tell us not to eat it. Uh-huh. Like it's it's actually one, it's really hard on athletes to say no. And I think that's um, you know, and then reinforces that guilt. Like yeah. hey, you got the night show. For
0: God's sake,
1: it's torture. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's, it's never a good recipe, is it?
0: No, no. And then the next day for even onlookers, so normally the next day after a show call, you treat yourself to a higher calorie meal. And a lot of people choose for, to get burgers and donuts and pizza and all that. Great, cool, good on you. But then from a social media point of view, a young girl, for example, looking at their fitness idol who's just come first in a bodybuilding competition now with a big picture of donuts and pizzas and a spread full of all this junk food. And then they probably look in the mirror and say, well, this person's eating all that. Why don't I look like this? I don't know. I just don't like, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, yeah. yeah, it's
1: actually know. something like I would love to push to change because I don't mm. think people would disagree. I think most athletes in the right frame of mind would be in the same way of thinking of like you know it'd actually be really good just to have more fruit platters or yep. more water or like you know something like that rather than you know being uh, sponsored by cookies and donut companies and stuff really just to make us gorge in between shows. Yeah, mm. I, I I hear you, sister. Maybe it's something we can change in the industry.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it starts from here. So um, I think that answers that in a, in a long-winded way. Don't eat the donuts. That's the main point. <laughs> yeah, and be conservative, but get the calories up. You've yep. got to for your yeah, long-term. That's health, right.
1: You have to do That's it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Green Goddess, Ooh. thoughts on cardio in a building phase?
0: Oh, yeah. I used to be the whole cardio no crew when I thought I was So all- did I? Yeah. <laughs> The old fuck cardio, yeah, yeah, like I went, we both went from sport, tennis, and new running, to all of a sudden, like no cardio, and thinking it was cool, but now mm. I don't know, I think we can both say that we've brought it back in definitely in a building place because yeah. you feel yeah. good, I love going outside and but it depends what you mean by cardio, like mm. i I reckon movement is key, you've got to still mm. go for walks and experience life, but. You know, there's probably no need to be on the step up for an hour in a building phase type thing. General movement, yes. Killing yourself on the cardio machines, not so much in building phase. Yeah, with
1: cardio, context really um, is important. So, you know, it depends on what cardiovascular training you're doing, what system aerobic, anaerobic, what are you training and what for? Like Danny said, um, you know, movement like low-intensity form cardio um, has its purpose. Like I think that's a non-negotiable. We should all be hitting sort of a minimum step target. Whether you're tracking it or not, we should be just moving. Yeah. Uh, That's neat levels as well, right, which isn't technically cardio, but still something to consider. Um, I was listening to a really good podcast, I think it's called Iron Culture, and I think it's Eric Helms um, who's on there, speaking about um, cardio during comp prep and how, um, or for anyone, like using cardio as a fat loss tool, so to speak, and he was talking about how, um, how it's used inappropriately and But then also how important it is not for just calories in and calories out, but the recovery index. So when we talk about cardio, we're actually talking about training our cardiovascular system. So the more efficient our heart is at pumping blood around our body into our limbs, the more efficiently we can actually recover between sets, between training days, the better we sleep. You know, all these sorts of factors actually have a
0: really good crossover into our training. Mm, for sure and I actually have a friend who has struggled to build her quads for so long until her and her coach tried a new approach and that was in her building phase she had to do HIIT training on the bike because what was happening is her lactic acid threshold in her quads would burn her out too early on the leg press and all that so she couldn't actually push her muscles to true fatigue so what they actually got her to do which is awesome would get her to do sprinting so hard on the bike three times a week mm. to increase that threshold so her quads mm. wouldn't burn out when she's doing the weight training mm. um, and then she's actually been able to really transform her legs but the thing mm. is because she was in a building phase now she has to eat like 400 grams of carbs because she's just slamming through the calories on the bike so I suppose if yeah. you are cardio in a building phase and your goal is to build, you have to match, if not exceed, well, yeah, you definitely have to exceed what you're burning in terms of calories. So the more Mm. cardio you do in a building phase, the more you'll have to eat if you actually... Mm. Mm.
1: yeah it's really important and that's again when context is key because it's not just about calories in and calories out for cardio you know i mean like you'd you'd argue the more efficient that you are with that lactate threshold for example yeah. which is what gives us that burn right mm. if you can reduce that metabolic burn that you get in a set and you can push harder to true fatigue on that muscle then you can create more muscle mass more hypertrophy so you know i think um i used to be very um black and white with cardio oh it's it's, it's this or it's that it's fat loss mm it's not you know but it's actually so complex and it's definitely something i've been more interested in and um included for the last you know probably month now is just getting my heart rate up to sort of like 130 140 for like 20 30 minutes just to improve my actual cardiovascular fitness because i do a hell of a lot of steps normally and i'm pretty active but it's this middle ground that i wasn't really exposed to and i've definitely felt a hell of a lot better
0: good and i suppose you have to take into account that you have uh, reduced your number of nursing shifts or taken them mm. away. So what? How many steps would you do in a nursing shift? Like 20,000 30
1: Yeah, that. And you know what? That has been the biggest um, adjustment for me. So mm. you know, everyone knows that. Um, I get well. Not everyone knows, but as nurses, you're on your feet all day. So it's not even just about steps, but it's also about you know tendon health and just standing and blood yeah. flow and all these other things. Like a lot of people complain or wear the the TED embolism stockings and everything with swelling oh, legs so yeah there's lots of considerations when you're on your feet doing so many steps But for me, um, now that I've reduced hours at the hospital, my NEAT has completely been slashed in half. Mm. Uh, And I was a bit concerned at the start because I was like, what's this sort of mean? But it's actually sort of um, being really good in terms of, I think, physique development for recovery. Um, I'm recovering a hell of a lot better. I'm not so drained or exhausted. Um, I can train at more optimal times for me. Um, And yeah, like maybe my maintenance calories aren't as high as I'd like them to be, but it's a good compromise because... Calories um, are very individualised, and they don't mean anything to anyone else. And I feel content.
0: Good, that's awesome. All Mm. right, so very,
1: very, very deep question. We'll get into the next one.
0: Very deep. Um,
1: Hannah Smoys, how quickly should I progress weights? I've only increased seven point five kilograms on my hip thrust in one month.
0: Yep, really good question. And thanks, Cheryl, for doing all the names this week. You're doing a great job. I am so sorry
1: to whoever's names I'm butchering.
0: She's butchering everyone's name. No, um, great question, Hannah. So ideally, we want to apply some sort of progressive overload every time we train. So for example, on the hip thrust, if you're struggling to increase weight, maybe sort of ask yourself, why? Do you, is your technique perfect? Chances are, if you're struggling to increase weight on an exercise, maybe the technique's not 100% right. Or maybe you haven't been pushing it to your full capacity because generally, when we push to full capacity and we go and have a break and recover, we come back and we should be able to add a little bit more, whether we're adding a bit of weight, whether we're adding a rep or a pause or something like that. Different when it comes to shoulder exercises, for example, lateral raises, because the shoulders are quite small muscles and we can't go up a kilo in dumbbells every week. It's impossible, but we should definitely. Be applying some sort of progressive overload every single time we train.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Great answer. And I think it's really important to understand as well. Like you said, Danny, progressive overload just is not just weight on the bar. Yep. So progressive overload is tempo. Um, progressive overload is improving your technique. Progressive yep. overload is um, muscle motor unit recruitment. So how efficiently you're contracting those muscles. So don't be disheartened because, you know, some people would kill for seven and a half kilos on the barbell in a month. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, take everything into consideration as well. Um But, yeah, I think it's really important to consolidate that technique and, like Danny said, add in some pauses at that most difficult part of the hip thrust, like at the top, to be able to increase that strength.
0: Yeah, or even a band. Even a band.
1: Even a band. Um, Even a bandmate. But good question, Hannah. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) It doesn't matter whether we're on the couch or on Zoom. We're just as bad, aren't
1: we? Um, I'm going to butcher this one. Yes,
0: I can see him, by the way. Oh, I shouldn't have said that because then you're going to make me read (laughs) it. No, you... (laughs) I I can't see him. No, no, no. You have to have one go. Come on. (laughs) Come on. This is Sherelle's reading class. Let's go. (gasps) Rosa? Lizzie Riot. What is it? rosalie erotic oh i just made that more sexy than probably what it is i'm okay with it yeah let's go with it
1: it.
0: why not it's thursday come on all right so
1: what are some things to consider if you are trying to conceive whilst training and Mm -hmm. i really wanted to answer this because i do get this question a lot and i just want to be able to um have the conversation because i think a lot of health professionals in maternity are eerie about training and, um, you know, obviously I'm a midwife by trade and I train, right? So I can give a little bit of context on um, where you should be, I guess, being conservative and when you don't have to be. So, you know, it, when you're conceiving, I, I presume that you mean you're not pregnant yet. Um, So it's different that if you are pregnant and what trimester of that pregnancy you're in to how cautious you have to be with training. And that's when exercise selection becomes really important and um, training with someone would also be um, a great option. But if you're trying to conceive and you're training, what considerations should someone take into account? is the question I'm presuming. Mm. And I want to say that there's not much. So when it comes to stress on the body, so when you're trying to conceive stress management is really important because um, we know that one of the main things of infertility is stress, whether it's, uh, physical mental emotional psychological stress is stress so it can be a number of things and i think gabby um when we had her on the podcast had some great insight into a lot of those other stresses like yeah. chemicals and all these other things that impact fertility and being able to conceive but when it comes to training the the biggest consideration would probably be the intensity and the volume so i would make sure that one what you're doing in the gym is effective for you so don't go in there and um you know jump around doing circuits and just trying to have a workout. I'd be going in with a strict plan to train so that you can um, do the volume and get the best out of the workout that you need to. I would be um, being conservative with that training and intensity. So, you know, running on the treadmill and training six or seven days a week when you're trying to get pregnant wouldn't be ideal. you are just going to stress yourself out. So, you know, I would train three to five days a week, um, good program, good exercise selection, work with someone, fuel your body properly, and then you should have no other issues and you shouldn't have to um, take training away at all because I know that's a common thing that's sort of blown around is like oh we well, need to stop exercising and it's like well no you don't like movements medicine right you just need to be smart with how you're doing it
0: brilliant and in terms of nutrition would you throw anything else in there maintenance calories I
1: just wouldn't yep. be trying to diet yeah, yeah. so Making sure you're eating enough um, fats, of course, for hormonal health, enough protein recovery and for your training. And then carbohydrates, just because carbs are fun, right? They're not essential, but um, it's going to help you get that maintenance calories. So I just would be removing as much stress as possible from anything. And I think, you know, if that's a question that you've got and you've been wondering that, you would get so much value out of the episode we did with Gabby. Jump back and have a listen. And she has a really fantastic book as well. And a few free programs that you can do as well as a part of fertility challenges. So really interesting stuff. So thank you for that one, Rosa. Good answer. Um, Nailed it. Now, Megan Sterkowitz. Does that sound right? Sounds good. Good. Top glute exercises and higher versus lower reps for building a booty. Oh
0: yeah.
1: Cool. So top glute exercises. What are yours, Dan?
0: Yeah, well, I think because there are three actions of the glutes, so abduction, Mm. external rotation, and extension, it's very important that we hit the glutes in all angles. So Mm. variation is key. If you want to build them, you've got to hit them from all angles. And Mm. I suppose when it comes to building, as we've been talking about, a lot of it is nutrition, get those calories in, and then a lot of it is also taking the muscle to failure or near failure Mm. when it's safe they're the underlying Mm. principles just because it's your bum doesn't make the science different to your biceps anything like that yeah Yeah. so in terms of Mm. top exercises i don't know they're just because i use so many different ones i don't really have any favorites but you know a big heavy hip thrust is up there but now just the way that i'm going with where i am personally i love the little sneaky ones that actually get them activated clam Uh, cable abductions just all the things that people just bypass to go straight to the barbell they're my Mm. favorites purely not because they work better than anyone else but purely because that's what actually opens the door to us finally using our glutes well
1: Mm, yeah really well um answered and i think you know the overriding thing is like what danny said and one thing we can all agree on is that you need to reach uh muscular failure to stimulate new muscle growth and that can be in rep ranges from 6 to 30 you know it's there is no high rep low rep sort of um you know consideration to really truly take into account just the exercise selection that makes it really um important to consider but something as well with any muscle is that you're training it you know in the fully shortened the mid-range and the lengthened range and that's what danny said as well is about variety being key so you know when you think about the shortened range being like a um you know a back extension or a hip thrust you know and then um the lengthened being in like a bulgarian split squat when the glutes are stretched so again it's variety There is no be all end all of exercises that you must or must not do. And the same with rep ranges, you know, it's always varying. And perhaps the rep range that you should be doing is the one that you haven't done um, at all or or
0: tried. Yeah, fantastic. And everyone is different. So someone might be able to feel one exercise better than someone else. So you really need to explore which exercises you can truly isolate the glutes on. Um, Mm -hmm. not only for activation, so higher reps with activation at the start, but then in your working sets, sort of that Mm -hmm. lower rep range or could be between 8 to 15 depending on the person Um, and then sort of your heavier exercises with lower uh, rep range. It's important to include all three, but again, there's no rule on which one to do, just the one that works best for you.
1: Yeah. And I think the more that we learn about, you know, everything, it becomes so clear about how important exercise selection is to answer that question. So it depends on the exercise that you're doing It's so fundamental important because when we speak about muscular failure, you know, failure is not failure. Failure is different on everything. You know, we can fail fail at technique before um, our muscles will fail on a lot of things. So it's about redefining what failure is and whether you're actually achieving it. Because I think um, a lot of girls leave a lot under the tank in terms of their training. You know, there's so much room of growth and capacity in your training, even when a lot of girls think that they're probably intermediate. I know I did for a long time. I still don't even classify myself. I'm like, I've got a freaking long way to grow and advance in training. So yeah, it's always about trial and error and
0: just um, always being a student, right, Danny. Always being a student. And it's easier to hit failure on certain exercises than others. For example, it's not safe to go to failure on a squat or a deadlift just because, you know, you can hurt yourself. Whereas if mm. you're comparing to, you know, banded abduction sitting down or even on a different note, the leg extension or something, you can push mm. and, until you can't go anymore and you're not going to hurt yourself. So just be yeah. wary of what you actually do take to failure versus what you don't.
1: and I always leave at least sort of two reps in reserve for any free weight barbell work particularly Mm. um you know for lunges and stuff like that you know you probably push it but definitely in machines like if you're on a leg press or whatever that's when you can truly take those muscles to failure so rather than thinking about what exercise or what rep range it's more about asking am I taking this muscle to failure Perfect. The one question. Um, Samantha Cross. one I think, yes. Do you monitor your sugar intake in MyFitnessPal?
0: Well, do you, Cheryl? Do I?
1: Do No. I? no. So no. the thing with MyFitnessPal is that it doesn't know the difference between glucose, sucrose, fructose, you know, and this is something that I commonly discuss with my clients because it's one of the questions that always comes up, and I was like, I need yeah. to answer this for people, <laughs> is... This red line on my fitness Pal. if there's one thing I could change, it's this red color, oh, you've gone over yeah. your calories, you've gone yeah, over your sugar. Also. You know, it just reinforces this bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to tell people, like, if you eat a banana, it's probably going to come up as 30 grams of sugar. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's important to know that my fitness MyFitnessPal is not smarter than you. So it can't tell the difference between different types of sugars. And we know that natural occurring sugars or carbohydrates or starches or whatever it might be, are
0: fantastic for us. Definitely. That's what provides us energy. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the people who manually enter their own things into MyFitnessPal, into the library, which we pull our data from, probably don't Mm. even put sugar in in the first place. So it's very inaccurate. I know most people put in carbs, protein, fat, probably sodium, but a lot Mm. of people don't actually type in the sugar so no
1: exactly exactly so that's that's just the blanket answer there no don't even worry about it and i think you know like if you've eaten the block of chocolate you know you've had too much sugar for the day right
0: yeah exactly you know what what kind of sugar you should be eating
1: yeah um i don't even know if i did that name right b nutland
0: let's call it that
1: b nutland (laughs) what is your opinion
0: on training twice a day Oh, okay. So my motto always is if you have have gas in the tank to do it a second time, you didn't bloody train hard enough the first time. Um, Yeah. But in saying that, it's totally fine. If you do your weight training session in the morning, for example, and go for a light walk in the evening, cool. All right. But I don't think unless you are a very high-end level athlete, who is peaking for a show or an event or something cool twice a day. All right, that's your life Mm. and your career. But again, they couldn't be doing that forever either. But there's Mm. definitely no need to do two 110% intensity training twice a day. Because then technically Mm. you didn't train hard enough in the first place.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, you can, it also depends on the training you're doing. Like Danny said, if you're going for a walk in the morning, you can go to the gym in the afternoon or if yeah. you're doing cardio and then you're doing a weight session, that's that's probably fine too if you want to split it up, right? Yeah. Like for time's sake. Um, or if you're an, uh, an athlete, you know, I guess a lot of advanced athletes um, and when I say advanced, I also mean enhanced, um, can train yeah. twice a day as well because they can recover from it. So, you know, the question is not like how much you should be doing it's how much you can recover from that's the real question and most people who are natural um Will not recover from two intense training sessions per day because one, the second one's gonna be pretty shitty, anyways. You increase your um, risk of injury and you're just gonna be so mentally fatigued and exhausted. So, mm. yeah, risk to benefit ratio, uh, it's a no from me. Um, I never say never though. Like, who knows? Like, in the future, maybe one day I'll be doing <laughs> training twice a day, but I'm gonna say no.
0: Yeah, it's, as we mentioned, like if you do one actual proper intense training session, but then later in the day you do skill-based training or something mm. or practice light movements, cool. Mm. But I don't know, it depends, yeah, what you call training. The Recovery mm, is always right. number one and just do it hard the first time, I reckon.
1: Just do it right the first time. Right. I used to, I used to go to the gym and do back-to-back gym classes. I could do like two, three hours in a row. Uh, I was yeah. that, I was like, it was, like, cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do another one. It's like, God, for God's sake, the things you look back on and learn from. But yep. don't make our mistakes. So, you know, do it once. You're not going to grow more muscle just because you've trained twice or you're not going to lose more body fat just because you've trained twice. Um, our body's only capable of so much in one day. you just not recover from it. You're going to burn yourself out and yep. you're going to end up developing a negative relationship with training in the gym. Nailed it.
0: Hmm. Nailed it. Um,
1: now, this one's another one from Samantha. So, thanks, Samantha. So, Thank got some you. Got in there. <laughs> uh, what are your typical? What are your typical working sets for hip thrusts, squats, and deadlifts? Starting with just the barbell? Question mark. So I interpreted this question as, you know, how do we get to our working sets? What does that mean? Do you just start with a barbell? Like, yeah.
0: Very good question. Um, all right, I'll fire away. So personally, I start with my activations just to get the muscles that are asleep to join the party, wake them up a little bit, then Mm. movement patterning. So let's just call it a squat day, for example. So Mm. I will activate the muscles that are responsible for bringing my knees out, you know, getting my core active. Uh, Then I would do some movement patterning work. So just some body weight squats, just to warm up and get the patterns Mm. firing um, from nervous Mm. system level. Then I would, you know, add some weight, go to the barbell, Then I would, let's just say I'm aiming to squat, I don't know, for example, say 60 kilos for the day. Mm -hmm. So, And then after activation, movement patterning, barbell, I would slowly work up to 60. Not too slow that I burn myself out, but you might add 20 kilos to the bar, Mm -hmm. another 10, so and so. And then you finally get to 60. That counts as your set number one. We don't start Mm. counting until we get to our first actual hard set. Yeah. Yeah, and then from there, whether you're prescribed three or four, then you complete it. And you might do yeah. back down sets or whatever, but your working sets, you have to build it up. Whatever comes before that doesn't count as a set. Yeah,
1: and that's really important for people to understand is that um, the, the warm-up sets, like the weight that you start with is not a working weight. Your nervous system has not recruited enough um, energy or, or muscle fibers to be able to actually peak in strength in that first set. You need to warm into it. Um, and so similar to Danny, what I do is I do a little bit of activation stuff, normally some seated abductions or whatever it might be. I do some deep breathing, some diaphragm sort of work, and then I do for me, usually two to three warm-up sets is what I need. Yeah. Um and keep in mind the stronger that you are, the more working sets you will generally have to do. Because if you're a newbie in the gym, you know but the barbell might be all you can do. So perhaps that is a working set. So it's yeah. always important to understand um, your context and where you're at. But like Danny said, you sort of warm into it. I like to keep my volume higher for my working sets um and then um slowly reduce it down if that makes sense like i find that a bit more volume in my warm-up sets gets my nervous system sort of going and contracting properly but yeah two to three warm-up sets and then um i do one rep with my working weight and then just to feel it and then that's it
0: beautiful and i would just like to add in when we are warming up we need to treat that warm-up with respect So we need to, we can't just all of a sudden turn on all the good technique and cues when we're at our working set. Like with an empty bar, you need to do the exact same things as what you would do with like your highest PB weight. Um, You see the top Mm -hmm. level athletes and and anyone who takes training seriously. For example, they're about to squat with the bar. They go up to it the same way. They put it on their back, take the same deep breath, slowly come back down, slowly, you know, warm up. and they it looks exactly the same as whether there's 100 kilos, 200 kilos or no kilos on the bar. So it's really important to not stuff around in your uh, warm-up sets. Your body learns movement patternings. um, So it's really important, yeah, to treat your warm-up set the same as your working set.
1: Yeah, it also helps put you in that frame of mind. You know, if you're building up to a working weight and it's a true working weight, you know, a lot of people I feel miss the boat on that working weight. They they, they sort Mm. of use a lot of their warm-up sets as their working sets and I know I did for a long time until I had someone push me to the brinks of failure and truly feel like (laughs) what failure should feel like yeah um so you know psychologically as well like like Danny said treat it with respect build up that that ego inside you that's going to move that heavy weight not just physically but mentally as well
0: yeah, really good question. That was good.
1: Mm, I reckon too, because I was like, "Damn, I wish I knew that one." Um, having a few warm up sets, but yeah, heaps of good questions. So thanks for shooting those, um, those through, girls. We really, um, we really love doing the Q and A's, don't we, Danny?
0: Yeah, they're good fun, and I love mm. like I love the styles of questions that you guys are now asking. It's really cool that you know you're taking note of the stuff that we've already sort of spoken about and and the questions are becoming more advanced, which is really Yeah, cool. they're leveling up. They're We're all leveling up. Yes. It's time and to and level up. Sorry. More yeah. importantly, I
1: love that we can answer them.
0: I know we that's, all it. that's that all why it's nice. <laughs> um but, but again can- girls. <laughs> Anyway, oh, you're wrapping it up. Go for it. I'm wrapping it up. I
1: was going to say, um, if you do enjoy these Q&As, let us know. Like, take a screenshot, share it on the story, of course, as always. But, um, yeah, flick us a message and let us know um, how you prefer the Q&As versus the normal ones, whether you want some more of them or, yeah,
0: whatever. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, Sherelle, I'm going to miss you. I know. (laughs) I feel like we can't and goodbye and then chat after. It's like this is it. this is it. <laughs> oh, well, go get some chicken eggs, say hi to Colleen and um, keep flying have. those awesome planes. It's bloody cool yeah, post have. them up. But stay safe. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, girlfriend. Bye. See everyone.